Hello and welcome to Apartment 29A. I'm Shosh. And I'm Megan. And we're two best friends who have a lot to say. This week, we are going to drink the bold black chai tea from the Republic of Tea and compare it to last week's bold green chai tea, Republic of Tea. Then we're going to discuss the podcast update that is from Tiffany Dover is Dead, where you actually get to hear the voice of Tiffany Dover. Then we're going to talk about the book Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing by Matthew Perry. And then we're going to end the show talking about things that both Shosh and I couldn't stop thinking about this week, which is Tucker Carlson losing his job and the latest episode of Offline, where they talk about kind of generational differences in an internet experience. So Shosh, what do you think of the bold black chai tea? I like it. It's nice. I wouldn't say it's overly strong. It kind of reminds me of a Christmas tea, which kind of makes sense because it has the spiced aspect to it. And I think cinnamon is really the strongest flavor, which I really like cinnamon. So definitely no problem for me. But yeah, it's kind of a spiced black tea with a nice cinnamon flavor. I think if I had to choose, though, I might go with the bold green Mm -hmm. chai from last week, if since we're comparing them. Mm-hmm. So both good, but I think if I had to pick, I think the green was maybe I might have liked that one better. Mm-hmm. What do yeah, you think? Yeah, the green was more mild, particularly for a title named Chai. Bold. Oh yeah, <laughs> true, very true. To be honest, they're both fairly mild considering mm-hmm. that they're titled Bold, mm-hmm. but they're very flavorful. So maybe that's what they're trying to say. It's just that the flavors don't like punch you in the face like most things that say they're bold make me like imagine like I'm imagining a flavor explosion, not just a like good solid yeah, flavor. You're, right. You're thinking more like super strong. Mm-hmm. And these are, I don't know, more rich in flavor, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But delightful. I think the green yeah. is better. I think this tea would be good if you are someone who likes chai tea from like Starbucks or another, your local coffee place. Uh, This would be a good one for them to use to add, you know, their milk or condensed milk or whatever else, whatever milk you prefer in your coffee (laughs) uh, or tea. Um, So yeah, I'm certainly not um, upset by them. And these are again, part of their biodynamic line. So good for the elephants, even though I still don't understand how tea would be bad for the (laughs) elephants. Do they donate money to the elephants? It says it's certified elephant friendly. Oh, yeah. You said that last week. Yeah. And then I was confused as well. Which is a trademark. It must somehow like affect their habitat or something. Mm -hmm, That's what I was thinking. But I haven't heard of that. There's lots of other places where I would understand the marking you know for something like that mm-hmm. but I haven't heard about yeah the elephants and the tea yeah although I guess we could look up there's a website www.elephantfriendlytea.com mm. maybe so, we'll have to do that educate ourselves that's right awesome 
Okay. Wanna... It is best sipped by September 29th of this year. So we're oh. still good. <laughs> Never seen that. That's a... cute. Best sipped. <laughs> yes. Does tea really go bad, though? I feel like that's one of the places where you're, like, required to put a use-by date on something, but it doesn't really go bad. Right. I have never seen a use-by date on any of the other products, so, but that it could also be it's, you know, I don't think it's going to go bad, so I didn't look. Yeah, I think you're pretty safe with tea. I would think so, unless it got, like, wet. That would be totally different, though. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think if it's like normal. Yeah. Well, normal, well-kept tea. Yeah. I feel like you're safe. In a <laughs> cool, dry place or whatever they always say. Yeah, exactly. All right. Should we talk about this podcast? Yeah. So here's the description. It says, nine months after this series ended without landing an on-the-record interview with its subject, Post Brandy Zadronsky wakes up to a text message, quote, while I did not die that day, the life I knew did, end quote, and it is signed by Tiffany Dover. The missive sends Brandy back to Chattanooga and Hinton, where the, where this time she's invited in by Tiffany herself. Now for the first time, Tiffany Dover tells her side of the story and describes what life is like at the center of a remarkably durable anti-vax conspiracy theory. Finally, Brandy goes back to the truthers who promised they'd recant or pay up if she produced an interview with Tiffany. What did you think, Shosh? I really enjoyed this follow-up. So for anybody that's either been listening and remembers or for those that don't know we listened to this podcast before and Tiffany Dover was a nurse who was one of the first people to get the COVID vaccine and she got it on live television and she fainted and then the conspiracy theorists went ballistic and it has just been this crazy conspiracy theory that she's dead and from the vaccine and on and on and on so the reporter you said her name, but I'm forgetting it. Brandy. Brittany. Oh, Brandy. Um, I'm not going to try and butcher her last name again. To, <laughs> to dig into it, to actually find her and talk to her and basically prove that she's not dead. And that turned out to be impossible. She got really close. She talked to lots of her family members. I mean, she was convinced Tiffany was alive, of course, but she was trying to actually talk to her and prove it. And the podcast ended and she was unable to do that. So this follow-up was awesome because like the one thing that was really missing from the podcast was talking to Tiffany Dover herself. So I really enjoyed it. I feel really bad for Tiffany. I mean, you try to do something good. She wanted to get this vaccine on TV because she felt like it was so hopeful and she was a nurse and dealing with so much COVID stuff and so much death. And she wanted to, you know, show that it was like this bright light, this hope moving forward. And then she fainted and it just basically did the opposite of what she was hoping for it to do. Um, So I felt really bad for her again. And then it changed her whole life. So it was nice to hear from her, just generally hear her side of the story, hear what she thought, um, find out why we didn't get to hear from her before, which essentially was because the hospital told her she couldn't talk to anybody, mm-hmm. which was interesting right? because the hospital was saying that they were, it was all about what Tiffany needed and wanted, which mm-hmm. was a lie. I don't know why they would lie. I, that's my thought. Like I kept thinking like, 
What was the point of lying? Yeah, just say it. we were we were sick of answering those phone calls. Our you know right. the people that we hired to schedule appointments were being harassed, and so we asked her to please you know limit all of the discussion of that. Right, it's negatively affecting how the hospital's running. So we've asked her to re currently refrain from talking to press or posting online. Right, that would be no big deal. Yeah. Also, I never saw it, but I thought it was super interesting that they were talking about the hospital tried to put out a video for proof of life, which I'm pretty sure they had mentioned that that was out there uh, in the original podcast, yeah. Yeah. but I'd kind of forgotten about it. But it was interesting because they had said it was really weird, a really weird video. And then it comes out in this interview with Tiffany Dover that it was actually, they all thought it was a picture. So they're mm -hmm. all standing there trying not to move, just smiling, <laughs> waiting for this picture to be taken. And no one says anything or does oh, anything because yeah. they all think it's a picture. And it was actually a video. And I was like, well, no wonder it was like the weirdest video people have ever seen. But I'm thinking. Why wouldn't the videographer say something? Well, that's what I was going to say. The hospital did it. It was the hospital who put it out. So whoever their like communications person was should have not only communicated to all the people that were there that it was going to be a video not a picture right this is but a video of, all, of a day in the life just do your thing but <laughs> second of all if they were going to make the video and then they looked at it and they would have thought wow this looks weird let's redo it or hey guys like why don't you say something or move around or whatever like who is their communications person that made this decision this right. makes zero sense to me yeah no I, like it's it's the strangest thing because you know if they're head of communications, they have a degree, probably in communications, and like communications 101 teaches you, like you wouldn't put that out. Like, <laughs> but also you haven't even communicated to your own like staff, staff. <laughs> like your own you know colleagues, because you've set this up. They're all standing there thinking it's a picture. What's happening? Yeah. So I thought I that know. was. I thought all of that was really weird. The fact that they lied about the communication and then put out such weird, you know, mm -hmm. video and stuff. So that was interesting. But so interesting. And I was not surprised at all. But when the host went to the conspiracy theorists who said they wanted an interview and then they would, you know, change their mind or the one had offered to give money if there was proof that she was alive. And of course they were like, oh, well, it's not enough. They moved the goalposts. And I'm not surprised because you'll never convince them. It would never be enough, no matter what you gave them. Yeah, but the still, second one was, was like, like oh, the worst. She's like, yeah, no, I'll pay you. You can just do a Zoom session. And they're like, okay, let's do it. And she's like, oh no, I have to come out and do it myself. It wouldn't have been enough. Even mm -mm. if they'd agreed to it, she could have met her in person and she would have like said, you're not the real Tiffany or whatever. They would have found a way. Well, and the things that they were asking for, she was like, we all talk to Tiffany, but only if I can see all of Tiffany's medical records. Right. And I'm meet like, her in person. And I'm like, you could meet me in person, but I'm not letting you sift through my medical records. Excuse me. There's not, there's like, there are doctors who can't just have access to that information without me saying, yes, please send that my information to that doctor. Why would I ever give my information to someone who proof of life isn't enough for you to be able to see, talk, and touch me? Yeah. 
even if there's nothing in your medical records, because like my medical records would have nothing that I would need to hide, but just out of right, principle, no, me I would be like, no, you're crazy. Right. No, there'd be, you'd, you'd say something like, oh, this was performed by Dr. Collins and Dr. Collins was one time to- took and taken into a courtroom because they didn't believe the procedure he did was real. So that must mean that like, even though he won the case, like, you know what I mean? Like they would pull out some sort of lie of and like, no way in a million years would I be like, yeah, here's my medical records. And she has a medical condition by which she knows that when serious like when her body floods with adrenaline she passes out here's the only thing that I still don't understand about this whole situation and I'm not trying to like blame her as the victim or whatever I don't mean it like that but the thing that I don't understand is if she knew there was a good chance she would faint why why would she do it like I mean she kind of addressed that because she really wanted to because she thought it was so hopeful and she thought she could get through it but my thing is, is like, if she felt it, why didn't she just like sit back down and wait a few minutes before trying to give her speech or something? Do you know what I mean? I mean, I guess mm-hmm. maybe because it was live, mm-hmm. but I just, well, you know and what it's I mean? obvious that while it was live, and I think this connects to offline, which we're going to talk about at the end of the show, because in this episode, she s- said she was like talking to her boss right after she fainted and was or a coworker, a colleague of some sort. But anyway, she was like, "Yeah, I fainted. I knew it was possible, but I really just didn't think it was going to happen." He's like, "Yeah, I know. It was live." And she was like, "Oh, you saw that already?" And he's like, "What about live? Are you not understanding? Like anybody who was online at that time and watching the stream saw it happened, which is probably most of the hospital that wasn't in an emergency situation." <laughs> and you could just tell like she just didn't quite get that that was you know like there there was no in post there was no like changing what people saw which I think is in some ways a very generational like you know when we were kids well I should say when we were in when we were teens and the internet actually became accessible for your majority of like your classmates it wasn't live it was recorded videos so I think maybe yeah. she just didn't quite get I know but she said she felt it happening and she still thought she could push through but I was just thinking at that point if you feel it happening why not be like oh can I just sit down for a second right even if she said I feel faint I'll be fine but I need to sit down like not that that would have looked good on live television but it's way better than fainting I mean, even just from like, not that you should be embarrassed about fainting, but I just mean even from like kind of an embarrassment type factor, Mm -hmm. because I'd be like, I don't want everyone to see me faint on TV. Yeah, no, thank you. So that's the one thing I just like don't quite understand about the whole story, (laughs) especially because it, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I just, if you know that that's probably going to happen. Right. But I mean, I, if I were her, I would never in a million years have anticipated that my fainting and getting back up within seconds would lead to a conspiracy theory. Oh, of course. No, no, no. I don't think she ever could have known Mm -hmm. that. I just feel like if it was me and I knew there was a chance that I could faint, that I would have either said, like not said that I would do the live TV interview Mm -hmm. or I would say, sure, but I need to sit for like five minutes before I go do it until Mm -hmm. this passes because 
otherwise there's high chance that I might faint. Right. Why don't you interview me while I'm sitting? Right. That's what I, which, like, I'm not I saying mean, she shouldn't have done it. I'm just saying, right. like, I find it a little bit weird. Like, if you know that it's a high probability of this happening. Right. That you wouldn't take precautions somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure she just didn't think about it, but. Well, and she said she thought she could push, push through. Right. And she knew that it would stop if she could sit down. So she thought she could do it quick and then go sit down. But I just feel like, Tiffany, you're a nurse and you know your body and you knew this was possible. <laughs> like, I feel like you yep. should have known, mm-hmm. you know, just do the interview sitting or wait a few more minutes or just say, yep. oh, I'm sorry. Even if it means sitting down on the ground, which would look weird, it's better than fainting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, yeah. I'm not trying to blame her. I think it's oh, great gosh, that no. she wanted to go online and get the vaccine and also she was doing so much good work in the hospital mm-hmm. with all those COVID people you know patients and stuff so it's not that I just personally don't quite understand because I feel like I I wouldn't have wanted to faint on live tv right yeah so but that's okay yeah and then there's the irony that like I'm sure not solely due to her and it was due to a lot of other science but by the time I got the vaccine I had to sit down in the waiting room for a certain period of time like 10 to 20 minutes before they would let me leave the doctor's office (laughs) so you kind of want to be like why didn't they do that (laughs) which again like that was she was getting a very early shot but still I'm like um they'd already done the trials they knew that like by the time it got to me I wasn't even allowed to leave the doctor's office right and you were like so the question is did that come about after that because there were people that potentially fainted or were did they overlook that because she wasn't actually leaving and she was at a medical building so if something Mm -hmm. had gone wrong you know there would have been someone there to assist her right I bet that's probably why like it might have been that like yeah you know the standard is to just have someone sit and wait just in case so that they're still at a place where they can get help if something goes wrong but because she was in a hospital and a nurse they're probably (laughs) like oh yeah we don't need to sit around for 15 minutes if anything goes wrong like fainting she'll be taken care of very quickly (laughs) but it's just crazy how something as innocent as that can turn into such a huge crazy thing that like affects so many people Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. it's crazy I just don't understand why the hospital lied like I get why they said you know they came to the conclusion a lot sooner than like you and I have where there's literally nothing that can be done like if people want to believe Tiffany's dead they're gonna believe she's dead even if she's standing right in front of them and they've cut her and she's bleeding and they probably like they've seen her entire medical history which I still think is really rude to ask for but whatever like it doesn't matter though they always would have something I mean one of the ways they were convinced that the proof of life picture wasn't her was because they said her part was different (laughs) right I'm like are you kidding do you not understand hair like this well, is he's a guy, so maybe he doesn't understand hair. Still, he she literally, she literally could have gone out and been like, "Man, I had a bad day. I think I'll go dye my hair." So she mm-hmm. could have had a completely different hair color, and it still would have been her. Right. Well, it's and the whole dumb, like the part, part was in a different place. Different. Yeah, I was like, um, because she. So on the show, they talk about this conversation she has with her hairdresser, and her hairdresser always says, "Where do you part your hair?" And she says. I don't remember her answer, but I had this conversation every time I was like, 
when I take a shower and I go to bed and I wake up, wherever my hair says it's going to part that day, that's what I do. I'm not fighting with my hair, but that means the part is not always in the same place. Because if I slept funny and all of a sudden the part's like way over on the left-hand side and I now look like I'm in the 80s, I'm in the 80s that day. Like there's just nothing I can do. Yeah, mine's like that too. They always ask me where, especially because they, mm-hmm. they actually, you know, put a like nice straight part in, mm-hmm, but and because my hair is like curly <laughs> slash wavy, I, it, mine's just never straight and I let it do what it wants. So I'm always like, it's somewhere in this region, mm-hmm. but I don't actually have a part. I'm like, it's, it's where it wants, whatever it wants to part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My hairdresser's like, okay, so I'm going to do it in the middle because that's what's going to make the most sense. And then your hair can continue to do whatever it wants to do. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Oh, but yeah. Amazing. It's, yeah, it's, it, it, the whole thing is like an experiment to me of some sort of proof that if you want to believe something enough, you will. And it won't matter what anybody else says or does. Unfortunately, and, that's a huge yeah. theme right now with so right? much stuff. And that can be done for so many good things. Like, you know, if you have a, like, if you're a mother to a child and that child has maybe not done the nicest thing for the world, and but you still, like Hitler's mom could still love him and like ignore all of the things that Hitler did that was truly awful and like there's something beautiful about loving someone despite all of the evidence as to maybe why um you shouldn't <laughs> but in any other case my gosh like what what does it do for you to be able to be like oh the world you know tells me i have to believe this you know because you know, as simple as like physics, because literally there's no proof that it's not right. But I'm just going to claim it's not because, because why? That's the thing that I'm always like, what does it do for you? I don't understand. <laughs> well, they've decided something's right and it somehow helps justify that. So I, I guess that's what it gets them. Yeah. But I would much rather be like, wrong and loved than and like wrong and like accepting of the people around me like in a community than to be right and hurting the people around me but I don't think they realize that they might be hurting other people they're just so convinced that they're right they're so convinced that she's dead and anything that you provide you know is going to be fake that it doesn't actually matter yeah it's just so well I mean I mean I guess if you think she's dead then anyone claiming to be her would be hurting everybody else but then like at the end of this so the very first truther that Brandy tried to go back with I can't remember his name Levi maybe Uh, but she enjoyed Liam I don't know anyway it was a four, I would almost swear on it being a four letter name, but that's all I could do. But she enjoyed talking to him and uh, he, she was like, hey, you know, I do have the proof that you've said you wanted of, you know, proof of life, so to speak. 
And he essentially was like, that's not enough. I don't believe you. And ended the conversation saying that she was somehow to blame for the lives of millions of people dying because of COVID. And I'm like, what? That's unfair. (laughs) And totally uncalled for. Like, I, I can understand not believing in the vaccine, but how does not believing in the vaccine lead to those who do being the cause of all of these deaths? Like, not, like, taking the vaccine has, is not what caused people to die because majority of people who have the vaccine didn't die. So any logic that is about that is not proven like you there's no evidence for that other than what his brain might tell him so i'm very confused yeah i don't think we'll ever quite understand that line of thinking and i don't think you'll ever convince them otherwise i mean to us we would say obviously if you got the vaccine then you're probably not going to die but they see it the opposite way so and you'll never convince them no matter how much evidence you have so basically does not right because they didn't get the vaccine and they didn't die it's not rational thought so yeah well it's just not it's just so self-focused it's so ego it's wild to me but if you haven't listened to this podcast yet definitely definitely do it now because you actually get like a conclusion that makes you feel a lot better like I feel like if Shosh and I rated podcasts we'd probably bump this podcast up in the rating because it was more of a more of the happier ending that we would like right it was definitely not a bad podcast it was super interesting Mm -mm. but the one thing it was missing was sort of you know the conclusion which is getting to talk to her so now it feels complete and like you said if we had given it a rating we probably would be bumping it up now yeah so but yeah so listen now that you can listen to the full thing yes. it's out and complete mm-hmm. okay do you want to tell us about matthew perry's book yes so matthew perry's book is called friends lovers and the big terrible thing The Goodreads description is as follows. The beloved star of Friends takes us behind the scenes of the hit sitcom and his struggles with addiction in his memoir. Hi, my name is Matthew, although you may know me by another name. My friends call me Maddie, and I should be dead. So begins the riveting story of acclaimed actor Matthew Perry taking us along on his journey from childhood ambition to fame to addiction and recovery in the aftermath of a life-threatening health scare. Before the frequent hospital visits and stints in rehab, there was five-year-old Matthew who traveled from Montreal to LA, shuffling between his separated parents. Then 14-year-old Matthew, who was a nationally ranked tennis star in Canada. 24-year-old Matthew, who nabbed a coveted role as a lead cast member on the talked about pilot then called Friends Like Us, and so much more. In an extraordinary story that only he could tell, and in the heartfelt, hilarious, and warmly familiar way only he could tell it in, Matthew Perry lays bare the fractured family that raised him and also left him to his own devices, the desire for recognition that drove him to fame, and the void inside him that could not be filled even by his greatest dreams coming true. 
But he also details the peace he found in sobriety and how he feels about the ubiquity of friends, sharing stories about his castmates and other stars he met along the way. Frank, self-aware, and with his trademark humor, Perry vividly depicts his lifelong battle with addiction and what fueled it, despite seemingly having it all. Friends, Lovers, and The Big Terrible Thing is an unforgettable memoir that is both intimate and eye-opening, as well as a hand extended to anyone struggling with sobriety. Unflinchingly honest, moving, and uproariously funny, this is the book fans have been waiting for. Five stars. (laughs) I just don't understand how he's not dead. Oh my gosh, there's... He he doesn't understand it either, and uh, I don't know at all how he's not dead i mean the amount of drugs he was taking like when a essentially a dose is one pill and he's taking 55 a day the amount of doctors he had in order to make that humanly possible that's what i was gonna say too i just don't understand how taking the sheer volume of pills and different drugs and alcohol and everything wasn't enough to kill him as crazy right i mean 55 pills in a day right crazy i mean i I guess it's good that he he literally at once it's like a full-time job just to stay in pills yeah i mean i know he had more means than a lot of people so i think it would have been easier for him than some other addicts because he would have had lots of money to essentially buy lots of drugs probably a lot easier than other people would have but even still he was talking about how he would like go to open houses and look for pills in their cabinets and stuff and try to you know steal a few here and there Mm -hmm. it's freaking crazy yeah and he would think about his day as like okay i need eight pills before i go to the to the office and then after the office or after you know work then I need eight more and then oh I have to do this outing so that's going to be six more and he had just like had this like pill pill yeah the things that I took from this were one just the biggest one is how is he not dead and two was I did not fully understand the extent of his problem at all so anybody would have been able to tell through the years you know that he was struggling some because sometimes he looked better than others yeah his weight on the and, show fluctuated yeah and he he's famous enough that it's come out that he's you know been and had troubles or whatever yeah. but I didn't ever even a little bit come close to understanding the extent of his problems mm-hmm. at all and I definitely had never heard you know the majority of the story especially all the stuff with like basically his insides exploding and yeah all kinds of craziness yeah he describes himself as having the bowels of an 80 year old <laughs> i mean it sounds like if we had been the people who were addicted to tabloids we would have known the possibly because he kept saying how he was in all the tabloids and it wasn't like a I don't think like the wasn't the best kept secret by any means (laughs) at least some of it there were some Mm -hmm. points in time where it was a secret and I was like man that's crazy that he could be that he could be taking that many drugs and people not know Mm -hmm. 
it's so it's just crazy just in general to think about what people can be hiding so yeah i found that to be crazy i also enjoyed some of the stories like the that he had from along the way and i wonder how a lot of those famous people feel about being in there i mean for mm -hmm. the most part they were all good stories for the other celebrities but still mm -hmm. you know he like made out with Gwyneth Paltrow before they were famous at some part I mean super famous they were famous just not super famous at some party and I was like how does she feel about the fact that you just told everybody that right I mean it was a long time ago so probably fine but I'd sort of be like you know do you want somebody just telling everyone all your business yeah and I do yeah. not remember him dating Julia Roberts right yeah, I remember her being on the show, but me too. And I had no clue Not that she that like dated. said she had to be in the Chandler storyline in order to be on the show. I just assumed that made the most sense for the show at the time. But yeah, it was fun to get kind of the insider look at how shows are written. And the different ways in which shows are written. So you get shows like The West Wing or sun, something on the Sunset Strip that are all, you know, written by one person who is very well known. You know, you get like the Shondaland shows. But then you have shows like Friends that are really written by a community of people or a writing team. Uh, I think Ted Lasso is also known as being a show where there's a writing team. And Matthew Perry is definitely a fan of the writing teams. He wants to be able to provide his kind of writing chops or joke writing chops. Uh, and when he can't do that, uh, he's good. He's happy for good material, but a little less happy as an actor all around yeah i thought all of that insight was interesting too and it kind of makes sense i think it'd be really hard to work on one of those sets where it's super strict and he was talking about where you had to like keep filming it over and over and over and even if it wasn't actually the best take it was the one that had the lines correct and that was mm -hmm. the one you went with and i was like that doesn't really make sense to me but okay whatever but yeah i found that all to be interesting as well yeah well i'm sure if you're a writer you've painstakingly thought about every word so it makes sense from that one perspective just not but like you I'm like is that what makes sense for the perspective of making a show I don't know well especially because you could say the same thing and just accidentally mix up a couple words mm -hmm. or leave out a word and it would have the exact same meaning and you weren't trying to be disrespectful to the writer it's just what you remember and how it comes out and how it flows naturally and mm -hmm. then to have to keep doing it over and over and even if it's not the best filmed scene if it's the one that everyone just happened to get the lines perfectly right that's the one you went with seems like to me you'd want to go with the best scene like the best right. overall but yeah. what do I know I don't make tv shows or movies yep no me neither it was very interesting he's definitely the other big takeaway from me is that he is definitely an alcoholic in a in the sense that I wonder if alcoholism isn't also a spectrum. So there are those who struggle with addiction, but who have learned over time that they can have a drink or can have one of something and they can stop themselves. 
And then there are those like higher up on the spectrum, you know, who get offended at the others who can do that because they can't. And so it's not that it's not that people on the lower end don't struggle with addiction. It's just that it is a different experience than those who like for Matthew Perry, he's just honest. Like the moment I have one, all inhibitions leave and I'm going to have a night of drinks. And that will end with probably some sort of pain in which I will then try and get pain meds. And he says that the only reason he's alive is because he is deathly afraid of heroin. <laughs> well, that and the fact that he's done so much of everything that now nothing will work, essentially. Yeah, but whew, that could make everything worse. So I'm glad that, again, because he says because of the fact that nothing seems to work for him as an addict, he would move to heroin or other drugs, but his fear of needles, essentially, <laughs> and uh, trying to, he's fine with needles being administered to him, but he's like, I'm not doing that myself. Uh, which I fully respect. I think that he's lucky, though, that he's afraid of the higher drugs. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that he is afraid of things like heroin has basically saved his life because mm -hmm. his addictive personality and the amounts of things that he was doing, I just don't see how he could have survived if he had gone to some of those harder drugs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, he says that same thing. So I am sure that is true just crazy wow. yeah i was gonna say not to be pessimistic but i just sort of wonder you know like he says he's sober now and he's gonna stay sober because nothing will work for him and he knows that but i just kind of wonder with how much alcohol and drugs he's done and the type of personality he has if that will actually last like mm -hmm. i really hope that it does and like i said i don't want to be pessimistic but mm -hmm. i just kind of wonder yeah, I do wonder if he's what he's saying though is not that he won't feel the addiction, but that it biologically won't be fueled the same way yeah, because the because drug won't can't work. cause the receptors yeah. to lead him to make even dumber decisions, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. But I think you're. Def I mean, his own experience is definitely uh, one that would lead you to make to question exactly what you're questioning because he multiple times throughout the book was like and I thought I was done and then something happened and that something happened is sometimes like a butterfly landed on his head like it's that like kind of minor of a thing like maybe I'm a good thing in fact and then he's doing the drugs again and then sometimes it's like serious things that happen you're like okay that would upset me too <laughs> One of the times he took some pills that were his girlfriend's when she went into the bathroom. And I was like, dude, if you know that you're a recovering addict, why are you dating somebody who's doing pills? I was like, that right. is a poor decision. Yeah. And that's the one difficult thing about AA is that you do put people together who share a proclivity towards the same issues. And so if one of them relapses, it can easily cause a 
like a domino relapse effect, but it's also if one of you relapses, the person you're going to trust the most is someone who's already gone through it. And so it's it's kind of a catch-22. Uh, not a lot you can do about that. Particularly because for Matthew Perry, that's where he finds purpose. So he finds true purpose in being able to care for the people around him. I thought that was actually really nice throughout the whole book because even when he was still struggling the whole time, he was helping other people and really liked helping other people. So it was really good. I did give the book five stars. I thought it was well written. Uh, I thought it was honest, brutally honest in some ways, but not not so much that people would read it. And, like he doesn't, you know, he no way tries to make it seem like drugs are good, I guess. Uh, and so I appreciate that aspect. I think if you are someone who has struggled with addiction or struggled with a lack of self-worth, it might be worth reading this book to hear how other people have gone through that and its connections to um, addiction. So, but it's hard to give five stars, even though I did, just because, I mean, it has a happy ending in this and say he's still alive and, you know, giving back to the community, but it's not a happy ending in the sense of, you know, he's, he doesn't feel all that hopeful that he is you know, going to be able to move forward and get the things that he wants in life, such as, you know, uh, a wife and children and the acceptance that he's always striving for. Yeah, it was rough. But like you said, definitely honest. It's hard to put yourself out there like that, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, in some ways, people already know his business because he's famous, but it still doesn't make it easy. Right. So yeah, I, well, I was about to say I enjoyed it, but it's hard to, I guess, enjoy in a normal way a book like this because it is like such a hard subject matter, but mm -hmm. I appreciated it maybe is a better mm -hmm. way to, to mm -hmm. say, but I mean, I'm glad that we read it. It was interesting. Yeah. We obviously don't read a lot of memoirs and, but we loved friends. And so mm -hmm. I was really interested in reading it for that reason. And I'm glad we did. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I have a lot more insight to what was happening with him through all of friends and just in general. And mm -hmm. yeah, it was good. Yeah. In that respect. Not good that he struggled. Right. Right. Again, so. yeah, the book is well written. And, and yeah, appreciate is a very good term, I think. All right. So all right. the things that we can't stop thinking about are Tucker Carlson losing his job. And generational internet experiences i am shocked <laughs> i did not see this coming at all mm -hmm. i couldn't believe it because he's literally their biggest fox news's biggest tv personality and i just thought he'll be there forever it never mm -hmm. even crossed my mind that he could get fired from mm -hmm. fox news and yeah. so, yeah, I was shocked, which is part of why I can't stop thinking about it, that and everybody keeps talking about it and analyzing it and mm -hmm. things. So obviously it just keeps being there. So yeah, it's just crazy. It is. I did not see it coming. That's for mm -hmm. sure. The one thing that I think is super crazy about all of this though, is I was listening to people talk about it and trying to figure out what they thought it was that finally pushed them to get rid of him. 
And I think it was the daily, maybe. What it looks like is that essentially he had too many HR faults, not that it had anything to do with the content that he was putting out. So it didn't actually matter that he was lying to people. It didn't actually matter how much he was hurting people. Didn't matter how much false information he was putting out. So what they think is that essentially there were too many accusations and too many HR issues rather than any of that other stuff, which Mm -hmm. I find to just be bananas. Mm -hmm. They have proof that he doesn't believe most of what he says. Mm -hmm. They know that he's lying, all these things, and yet it doesn't matter. What matters is that he's being accused of like HR stuff. Well, what matters is they would have to settle those and they're running out of money because they just had to give a lot of money to Dominion and there's like another even bigger case from a company I can't remember the name of. Yeah, no, there's definitely more coming, but I think there's a history of them getting rid of other people for stuff because I think it was like Bill O'Reilly was also accused of like sexual harassment and different Mm -hmm. things. And so I think that they do have a history of that. And Mm -hmm. it was also interesting because they said Fox was sort of trying to send a message because Fox, basically Tucker Carlson thought he was, you know, bigger Mm -hmm. than Fox essentially Mm -hmm. and untouchable. And Fox wanted to remind him and everybody that actually the network is basically the top dog, not an anchor. So, but I just found it all super interesting especially Mm -hmm. the reasons they're like okay you have all these people accusing your set of all these awful things and that's enough to get rid of you but not actually the content that you're putting out even though you're lying yeah because the content makes money i know but it's just crazy it is crazy 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 it is wild yeah because i think it was the same day that the daily talked about that they also talked about that briefly with an interview on up first yeah in the NPR politics podcast or not the politics podcast this their daily podcast and it was super interesting because the two shows took very different perspectives it's like one perspective similar in the sense of like the cause the underlying cause they agree everyone's like no this is about HR issues and money but one of them I think the gentleman on up first was a bit more optimistic and hopeful that particularly because they don't have anyone already on like kind of up to bat who can fulfill Tucker Carlson's spot right away that um, things might actually get a little better in terms of the mm, um, ability to trust the news anchor, the news host for that hour, Um, at least their authenticity. But then the pot, I think it was the daily at the end, they were like, yeah, but remember when we thought that Bill O'Reilly was gone and we were like, oh, they're gone. It's going to get better. And then we got Tucker Carlson. (laughs) So if this is a spiral down into the depths of awfulness, this will just get worse. And so it's really interesting to hear like the same event is occurring. Everyone agrees why it's occurring. It's money and HR issues. And then the question becomes, will the pendulum swing in the other direction where maybe they find someone who uh, doesn't try to um, harass their employees, which 
might only be better in that one little HR area. They might still be, you know, a, a truther or whatever they call themselves when you actually believe the big lie. Um, or will it like just get even worse and you get somebody in there who has no connection to reality? Well, yeah, because I think there was someone before even Bill O'Reilly and they were just sort of saying like, oh, we finally got rid of this person and then they just slotted this person in and then we finally Mm -hmm. got rid of that person and then you end up with Tucker Carlson. And they were sort of saying that Fox kind of has the ability to probably slot anybody into his time slot and they'll probably do okay Mm -hmm. because Fox News has a big following and that's a super watched spot. So we can, I definitely hope that it's somebody that's going to be better, but I fear that even if it is somebody who starts out better, that because they essentially will bend their content Mm -hmm. to be whatever it is that that base wants, Mm -hmm. that it won't even actually matter and it'll still end up being awful. Yeah. But we'll see. Yep. Well, it's also really hard for me not to think of like the correlations between like if you believe that like in the anti-vax movement you're more likely to be like hard pro-life and you're more likely to believe that january 6th was just the footage of people walking around kindly and you know what i mean like and there's correlations between like if you have this thought you are more likely to have these other thoughts and so if you're going to put somebody in that position eventually the likelihood is they're going to show that they have these related but unrelated but correlationally related thoughts that lead you to the to be a conspiracy theorist and not allow for anything to change your mind when reality is trying to do just that yeah it's crazy right so i haven't heard yet who's taking the spot i think probably it's just temporary people for now but at least i'm assuming but the, what was announced is that they have a rotation of a couple people that they're going to just slot in, I think, as, like, trials, maybe, but just also as interims. Filler, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I kind of hope that it shows all of them that they need to be a little bit better. And maybe it'll bring the network up a little bit. But again, mm-hmm. I feel like even if it does that, it's going to be so temporary because, again, they're going to feed to their base because that's where the money is. Yeah. But at least that they could be less abusive to their coworkers. At least that at least the, would be the place the earth a slightly better place to live in. <laughs> right. Looking on the positive side. That yes. would be an improvement for sure. Yes. Not for the news, but at least for the people who work there. Because no one should yes. have to be harassed in your place of work or anywhere. Yes, agreed. Agreed. All right, any last thoughts on our good friend Tucker Carlson? Bye. (laughs) Right? Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Oh, did it? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, darn. Um, Okay, should we talk about this offline episode? Yeah, so the most recent episode of offline with, um, I almost said with Jon Stewart. John Favreau. <laughs> John Stewart's amazing, uh, also, but not yeah, his podcast. Different. John Favreau was about how the internet is radicalizing, particularly young men, but just young people. And the thing that 
I mean, of, of course, like Shosh and I can't stop thinking about it just because we have our experience of the internet and we know that Ronin, baby Ronin, is going to have a probably different totally different experience particularly if ai does move forward yeah the show brought on an author i think her name was laura bates maybe um and she had some sort of project that she'd done um like so she's essentially put herself out there as a feminist um and she's studying sexism and she's written a book called Men who hate women and fix the system, not women. She just had some really scary statistics about like 14-year-old boys having seen more porn than any previous generation because... Yeah, there was like some ridiculous amount of like percentage of kids by 14 had seen porn on the internet. Yeah, and it's all... And the porn that they did see... So, like, earlier generations, when they think of porn, they think of, like, you know, magazines that display a woman's body or that might, or that are, or they might think of, like, movies where you can watch people, you know, have sex. But what's happening for these 14-year-old boys is they are seeing kind of homemade pornography that is women crying during and after it's like very violent very um unconsensual shall we say uh and so there's a big generational difference and even when you say to people these kids are watching porn what that means for the older generation is not what's actually being seen and so that means that the what is being shared through that experience is also very different and not translating and I was like oh yeah I like I fall into that not have that experience well not only did I not have that experience but like I teach about how pervasive pornography is but even I didn't realize that what people are seeing is more violent than I was anticipating or was like, you know, was associating with the word pornography. Yeah, there was an awful statistic that I don't remember exactly, but I think it was like in the UK, one rape in a school is reported a day. And they said they were talking to one of the boys and they were like, why didn't you stop when she started crying? And he, his answer was literally like, well, that's normal for sex. Women always, yeah, that's girls, girls always do. cry they always when cry. they have sex. You're like, what? That's not right. Right. And she, she went undercover and she joined some of these like ultra masculine groups. It won't even say the word like women. They like have words that they use to replace yeah, it. But I was female like, female humanoid or something like that. It was something crazy. I was like, what? This is happening. And yeah, shemanoid or something. I don't know. I don't know. It was crazy. But her experience with that, I mean, must have been so difficult. She like oh pretended God. to be a guy to kind of break into these groups. And it must have been awful because the things she was talking about how, you know, they're like ultra masculinizing things and saying like guys should only be certain ways, essentially like, you know, hardcore, I guess. And um, they she was talking about how they were 
encouraging people to commit suicide and to like take women with them so that it wouldn't be wasted and just all of this super awful stuff like essentially Mm -hmm. taking the me too movement and being like you know this is all made up and they're accusing you of things and just taking it to the like way opposite side of the spectrum and it was crazy and they were talking about how a lot of people get sucked into it and a lot earlier than they even think about it like not necessarily all the way to the full like those groups but Mm -hmm. a lot of people get pulled into like this masculinization is that a word masculinization (laughs) I'm making it a word if it's not um and that it starts really early online and that people don't even realize it and some of it I wouldn't even have thought of because they were talking about for example when you have little tiny kids and -hmm. they play together in groups and a boy and the girl play together and they'll be like oh he's gonna be a heartbreaker or say things like oh he's got a crush on her girlfriend Mm -hmm. and they were saying that it's literally already starting it and you're already sort of imprinting those ideas on the kids and that it leads to essentially the groups segregating so you end up with like just groups of girls and just groups of boys and so obviously instead we should be like wow it's great that you have a friend Mm -hmm. like doesn't need to be more than that but that's one of those things where I don't think anybody would even think of those things and Mm -hmm. it's already from like such a young age you're already starting to implant those ideas and make those distinguishing Mm -hmm. uh factors known Mm -hmm. which is just crazy mm -hmm. and then she talked about the way in on the internet is oftentimes through like memes and gifs and she provided an example of a quote-unquote joke and I'm honest, like, I, not only did I not find it funny, I just didn't get it. I was like, I don't understand what that's even supposed to do to make something seem funny or, but I guess enough people understand it enough that they would click on it and then it would take you to like a page that would have other jokes and other places you could click on. Um, and it was just, it's wild, the, the depths of the like the the innocence of how you would get to a group that at the end would be like, oh well, if that woman won't won't have sex with you, then you should just kill her and yourself at the same time. What or rape her? Didn't they say rape her also? Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah it's crazy because it's literally like down the rabbit hole. Yeah, but you got there because you clicked on a joke that you didn't even like. You maybe just we're trying to understand like why is that why is that a joke why is that even funny and then you end up in this place that's full of people who really need right. some therapy or you're like that's funny even if you think maybe it's funny and poor taste so you mm-hmm. click on it wanting more jokes and then like you said you end up in a completely different place yeah it's crazy the internet mm-hmm. is scary i mean in some ways it's so amazing right so amazing but it's also yeah really scary and then that terrifies me for what ronan's going to encounter when he starts going online i mean i have a little while before i have to deal with that but right still that is terrifying Mm -hmm. yeah definitely i'm sure there are just going to be conversations in your future that you're like this is not what i anticipated having but okay we're going to talk about it since I yeah, don't imagine I mean, you're going to be the parent that has like 
85,000 parental controls and the kid can literally only watch Sesame Street on, on YouTube or something. No, he can only watch Sesame Street until he's like 18. That's it. Nothing else. For sure. Maybe some old school Mr. Rogers or something, but we're definitely limiting everything. No, no, I, I do think there must be something to be said about the people that you grow up around and the conversations you have because mm-hmm. obviously I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would think a lot of these people that would get sucked into those groups wouldn't have the right role models, the right conversations happening in their home or with their friend groups and different things right. for them to be sucked into them. Mm-hmm. At least I hope. So I hope that obviously Ronan will be brought up in a way where he wouldn't, he wouldn't, uh, you know, be sucked into those sorts of things, mm-hmm. even if he came across them. Yeah, he won't feel that ostracized that he needs to seek out and find solace in that community. I've been I've been grading a bunch of papers recently, and a lot of the students will tell me that they, you know, society needs to create ways to help adolescents and young adults through their emotions, through all the changes that occur at those life stages. But I keep asking because they don't provide what what is society not doing now? You know, what what like, yes, that's needed. That's great. How are we not already doing that? What is missing to provide that? And I have not received any answers yet. So I think I can kind of see that because I think I can't remember if it was in this episode or if it was somewhere else, but they were talking to younger people and asking them essentially like is the internet harmful and when they were talking about themselves they were saying oh no it's more of a positive experience than negative but when they were then saying generally in other people they were like oh no the the internet's really negative and it's really bad for people and so I think maybe it's easy for people to say generally Oh yeah, it's bad or we need to make changes. But then when you ask them specifically, especially if they don't feel like it applies to them, then they're like, well, I don't know. Right. But they're not getting as many points because I need those specifics. (laughs) It's not very helpful though to anybody if they don't actually recognize that how it affects them and or try to help come up with solutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you have no suggestions, then society can't try anything else. But yeah, just very interesting that there is this kind of generational difference of experience in large part because there was no YouTube when I was growing up. It didn't exist yet, <laughs> let alone everything that came from YouTube and YouTube channels. Way to make us sound old. <laughs> I know. But it's true. We didn't have to grow up with, you know, Instagram and for example, that's supposed to be really bad for young girls because they're all trying to get the likes. And also, you know, you have to understand that people are basically showing, they're curating their life and what you're seeing and that it isn't all necessarily the truth. And so I think young girls in particular have been shown to struggle a lot in like their self-image because of things like Instagram. And we didn't even have to worry about that. Right. No wasn't even a thing for us so I feel like in some ways we got lucky because of that but who knows I feel like right. we're, we're pretty cool girls we would probably would have been able to navigate to Instagram when we were growing up 
I say that, yeah. but I don't actually know. But right. Yeah, I don't know. But I like to believe that you're correct. <laughs> I'd like to believe so too, but I also don't know because to me, I don't really care that much about social media stuff. Right. Because I'm old. But for younger kids, it is like a big kind of important thing in their life. So yeah. I don't know how I would feel if I, it was a bigger, more important thing in my life. Right. For sure. So. But definitely Craziness. an interesting episode to listen to. So if you're enjoying our conversation, definitely check out the latest episode of Offline with John. Yeah, Favreau, worth a listen. Not John Stewart. Yes, not John Stewart. <laughs> worth a listen for sure. Yep. Well, if you have met Tiffany Dover or Tucker Carlson um, or Matthew Perry, let us know how that experience was. You can contact us on at Instagram, in fact, at apartment29a. That's apartment spelled all the way out, 29a. Or you can email us at apt29a at gmail.com. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Bye.